Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I am Joe Francis, and this is the Joe Francis podcast. Today's guest is Chaitanya Ramalingagara. Chaitanya is the director and co-founder of wakefit.co. He oversees all front-end operations of the company in areas such as sales, marketing, technology, and customer experience. He holds an MBA from the Indian School of Business in Hyderabad and a bachelor's in computer science from the National Institute of Engineering. Chaitanya has over 19 years of experience working in several managerial capacities in large companies as well as startups. He has also been a serial entrepreneur and an angel investor, investing his professional expertise and acumen in various startups. Chaitanya, welcome to the podcast. Nice to be here, Joe. You're welcome. So this podcast is all about um, for aspiring entrepreneurs as well as existing entrepreneurs, hearing from those that who've kind of been in the trenches, been there, done it, not just the successes, but the challenges and the obstacles um, along the way. I think I certainly I have always found it very useful to hear from others. And I'm sure there are many, many out there that will as well. So probably the best place to begin is in terms of your formative experiences, your, you know, your kind of childhood ambitions and um, some parts of your early professional career and how that developed towards entrepreneurship. Sure. <clears throat> My dad was in the state government service. So that is basically euphemism for saying that we got carted from one city to another <laughs> every few months. Uh, so I think as a child, uh, I studied in about 10 different institutions for my 16 years of formal education. So living in multiple cities, moving every few months, uh, making new friends. Uh, I guess in hindsight, that made me uh, very adaptable. Uh, new situations, new circumstances, getting out of your comfort zone. Uh, it sort of makes it very normal. It's, it normalizes that whole experience you don't really think much about it uh, and once i finished my engineering like there's a joke right that people in india finish their engineering and then figure out what to do with their life yeah. <laughs> i mean in india uh, and and some other communities it is very common you know to focus exclusively on the profession so you basically got the choices of engineering accounting medicine or law right Absolutely. Yeah. So I got done with it, uh, joined my first job as a software engineer, but very quickly knew that I wasn't going to enjoy doing that uh, for the rest of my career. So very quickly gave my GMAT uh, and joined Indian School of Business Hyderabad, uh, where I majored in marketing and uh, uh, leadership. Uh, the next six years, I was in the US and Canada, management consulting. Right. <clears throat> but then I came back in 2011 when the the startup wave was starting in india if you remember those days uh, every day in the newspapers there would be one small article today in the times business page almost half of it is dedicated to startups back then there used to be one article every two days or three days where a flipkart raising a small seed round or a mintra raising an angel round <clears throat> it was starting to make the rounds and uh, somehow i think there was an entrepreneurial streak in me uh, if you look at it uh, right out of my 10th class in my summer holidays, I had started a spoken English teaching classes in my aunt's garage in Mysore. 
So I took out an advertisement in the local newspaper. Uh, I uh, wanted to teach uh, people about uh, spoken English. So and I had done that as a job in my previous summer after ninth grade, where I taught a motley group of people. One was a salesman. One was a housewife who wanted to converse in English. One was a student from a rural area, but now he was studying in uh, uh, Bangalore. Uh, and so very different age groups, very different professions, but they all wanted to learn spoken English uh, because they felt that was going to change their quality of life. It wasn't that my was spoken... this online or was this physical? This was very physical. This I'm talking about 95, 96. Oh, okay. Okay, fine. Yeah, so I, I was in uh, ninth grade and 10th grade. So I had done this, and uh, but then I forgot all about it. Those two summers I did, then uh, 12th, then engineering, got busy with life. But I think in hindsight, I like doing uh, something on my own, trying out something on my own. So that when I started seeing more and more news about startups, uh, and I saw how much I was working in management consulting, I told myself that, it's not about the hard work. I'm anyway putting in that hard work here. Uh, so maybe if I just put in the hard work for myself, maybe I can build something. Yeah. So 2011 end or 2012 Jan is when I uh, quit my job and did my first startup. And uh, within 10 months, the whole startup uh, shut down. The team broke up. Every single person went back to a job or went and joined a startup. I, as the CEO, had made every single rookie mistake possible. <laughs> I, Fail fast and learn quickly. Yes, but I think I learned a lot because I also I pretty much lost all of my savings. I had, as a as an unplanned, naive first-time entrepreneur, I thought uh, 10 to 11 months savings for my personal expenses would be sufficient. And in 10 to 11 months, we barely got a product out. Uh, then this whole thing happened. We shut it down. The partners parted. <clears throat> so it felt very bad. But at the same time, one thing was clear that I I felt this is not why I quit my job for. Uh, so I need to uh, give it another shot. So I didn't go back to a job. I incorporated another company. And this time did something slightly different uh, in a different uh, space. My first startup was in the dating matrimony space, while in my second startup was in the women's community space. So the, the dating um, matrimony first one, was that like an app that you had developed? It was a web app and it was trying to replicate what eHarmony has done in the US. Okay. Working with psychologists to build a compatibility-based matching profile algorithm in the backend. And the compatibility was being gathered through a lot of games and visual uh, quizzes about you rather than just getting you to fill up a bunch of things. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so what do you, what do you think went wrong with that? Because, um, you know, well, quite frankly, dating apps have more or less taken over the world now and changed uh, in many ways the way people uh, meet each other. So what, what would you say was the issue with that particular one? I can cop out by saying that it was ahead of its time because it was 2011. Yeah. But I think I don't want to do that. There are there were other mistakes that I did on my own. <clears throat> Number one, all my focus groups and interviews showed that people were willing to pay for a 
pay for a completely safe environment where every person was vetted <clears throat> but in reality what they wanted was the perception of choice more than vetting got it so in on our platform we gave uh, vetted three profiles every day or every week while you just logged on to bharat matrimony or shaadi.com or uh, i think later years i think there was aile and tinder and so forth where you just saw completely unvetted profiles but it gave you a sense of control and perception of choice that i was choosing my own destiny i was looking at it rather than a platform giving you a fewer but vetted profiles so what they stated and what they actually wanted were very different yeah yeah uh, second mistake i did was uh, instead of launching an mvp and testing it and iteratively building it uh, we worked with a lot of psychologists built out a really strong algorithm built out a really strong visual uh, interface for collecting the user preferences and took 6 7 months to build out the product and launch by which time things had moved again so there is no such thing as a perfect product where you sit in a cave and code for it for 9 months 10 months and then hope that it will be a kickass product the real world doesn't like work that way you start small keep iterating and build without waste uh, using the lean startup framework i made that mistake also so do you think in hindsight it was it would have been better to release earlier with whatever foibles were in place and gather user feedback correct correct yeah. but in hindsight i wouldn't have entered that market okay. because another mistake that i did was that uh, uh, that's a very very niche market in india uh, either you put your neck out and say that hey i'm not waiting anybody my job is to get you as many profiles as possible which i was not very comfortable as a person doing if i am the platform owner and there are frauds i'm not comfortable sleeping at night uh, but at the same time the other version which we took was not the right product uh so given that i don't think i would have entered that product that category itself if if i had it had the knowledge that i have today got it yeah so so that one um you decided to put to the side but then you entered uh, a a similar space or or a completely different space we accidentally entered a different space what we realized was the blogs and content that we were putting out to attract women and men to the dating matrimony uh, app was actually getting a ton of traction and very good feedback so we said okay that company shut down uh, but we know content we know the content engine and we know how to build a community with very very small budget can we make that 20x 30x of what we were doing uh, so we said basically what i'm trying to say joe is in the dating matrimony app the traffic and the blogs that we were doing was to get people for a specific purpose which is come come here find a partner we said what if we just did this 20x 30x scale where they came for the content we enjoyed the content engaged with experts uh, got uh, multi uh, multi format content to uh, talk to brands talk to people talk to experts on all phases of their life so the idea was a woman from puberty to menopause anything she would go through uh, from uh, pregnancy to beauty to fashion to makeup uh, to fitness uh, anything uh, you would have really original well researched uh, content in different formats and people would come and engage and what we ended up building was 
a 1 million strong community of women with 40% coming from the US, 40% from India. That essentially meant brands came to us saying that, hey, we want to engage with your community. So the revenue model there was branded content in the heyday of BuzzFeed and uh, Pop Sugar and so forth, which was a content to commerce journey. People come for the content, engage with the network, and then end up buying something. That's what we mean. So was it somewhat of an affiliate play in that sense? Not necessarily affiliate play, but branded content where product sale could happen through us or people would play, pay us for the branded content, but then drive it back to their site for a transaction. The long-term vision was to have an e-commerce part there itself. Got it. And w- was this user-generated content or did you have the, the psychologists on board at this stage as well for the, some of the content? We had experts uh, yeah. and we had onboarded them across the country. And what we our main uh, value prop was that we had figured out a uh, we had figured out an amazing uh, content engine which was churning out about five hundred pieces of content a month. Um, uh, copy checked, uh, plagiarism checked, high quality, well researched. We just boiled it down to a science to see what does the search engine say, what are people searching for, what material do you need. What experts do you need to crack it? And how do you edit it and publish it? Um, so that engine was what we cracked uh, and did it at a massive scale. And like I said, brands started working with us. But uh, after two and a half, three years of doing this and one year of the previous startup and raising one angel round, not succeeding in series A, getting to series A, uh, took the hard call to shut this down. Okay. But you did, you did um the difference here rather than complete bootstrapping was you did have some external funding for this one yes we had angel but we tried our best we couldn't crack a vc series a round okay so what do you feel that that was the the main factor that uh drove you to move on from that no i think by that time i was burnt out uh it was four years of having quit a job uh, business surviving, but not really scaling up the at the level that we wanted. Got it. Uh, me doing multiple consulting gigs just to keep the company alive, just to make payroll for the next month for the 10-member team that we had. So I think I was just burnt out and didn't have any more fresh ideas. And more importantly, I realized I didn't have the founder market fit, so to speak. I didn't enjoy hobnobbing for branded content. I didn't enjoy networking and working with the CMOs of different teams mm. to just convince them and sell them and then do that. Uh, and uh, it just became a chore after a while. So yeah. I decided to shut it down. But okay. I did manage to get jobs for every one of my team members uh, and then formally wound down the company. Okay, interesting. So I can see how the, the first one cascaded into into the second. Uh, what What was next or was that did you start Wakefit next? No, no, Joe. I, by this time, my bank balance was literally down to zero. So I ended up taking up a job. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined a Sequoia-funded startup, uh, which was later acquired by Amazon in India. I joined there as VP of operations at a lower salary than pre, pre-entrepreneurship uh, because the market did not value the work that I had done for those four years, because as a founder CEO, you, you are the peon in the office. You are the CEO in the office. You do everything. Yeah. 
so uh, and the market clearly segregated talent into five buckets are you in tech are you in product are you in operations are you in sales or are you in market uh, are you in i don't know one more production i think so this market just segregated very brutally and finally i didn't get a job and i settled for something that would get me back to speed at least to live my normal life and take care of my expenses yeah uh, it was down to my last 800 rupees and i said any job but i tried tried for a long time finally got this job and i joined there 800 rupees that's cutting things a little fine <laughs> yes you can say that <laughs> yes so did that and uh, like most things in life uh, that's where i met my current co-founder right very unplanned uh, it just so happened serendipitously that he is about 8 9 years younger to me but very similar journey he was iit roorkee uh, good ed- education good pedigree worked in a german multinational quit that done a startup lost all his money there and then he had joined the same startup because of the same reason as me to earn back some money the one and, where you were the vpo yes i yeah. was the vp of operations and he was in my team in the process excellence uh, department right so we bumped into each other uh, became friends and uh, about 6 months later ankit is the one who had the idea for wakefit so he came from the foaming industry and he was a chemical engineer anyway so he had the knowledge of chemistry of foaming how does foam work uh, at a chemistry level uh, and then what do you do with that because a foam can be used for your car steering wheel uh, as uh, acoustic soundproofing material as uh, a mattress as a kitchen sponge depending on the chemistry it's very very versatile on what it, you can use it for and were, were they specialists in a particular area or were they supplying for many of those areas at the time all of those areas okay. through the german through the german multinational he was working and supplying raw materials for all of these industries so about 6 months later when he had this idea that something could be done on mattresses uh, i coincidentally had still retained some of my tech team from my startup because that startup had not yet formally wound down so i said okay let's it seems like a good idea and maybe i am stupid or stubborn maybe you are stupid and stubborn so we had both saved about 2 and 1/2 lakhs each from the from working for their about for 6 months or 7 months so we emptied out our bank accounts once more and started with that 5 lakh rupee corpus for this uh, and incorporated wakefit okay i'll just uh, for uh, for the non indian viewers i'll just uh, say what a lakh is a lakh is uh, 100000 so what we're talking about is 250000 rupees which is i guess what 2500 pounds or something like that at, at today's exchange rates yeah you're right so at about 5000 uh, pounds is what we ended up starting as an initial corpus and i started like i had said all of our past experience and lessons came in handy here so my two startups if you remember were all about demand generation and content building and community building on a shoestring budget yeah ankit's past experience was on creating foam and good quality foam and trying to map it to sleep 
how does a great mattress work that was his knowledge and his expertise so very organically i ended up becoming the product manager and building out the website building out the order management system in the back end um, building out the customer experience team all of those things i took over uh, production new product development logistics warehousing ankit took it over and we just started off organically so uh, i mean this is interesting i want to just go go to this bit about evaluation uh, of an idea because clearly the mattress market um specifically in india there were already highly established players did was that not um a barrier to entry for you or did you just believe that there was some uh unmet needs or or something unique about your proposition that would uh capture share reasonably quickly none of that deep insight or audacious goals uh, jo none of that uh, we our thought process was fairly simple all of the incumbents are 40 to 50 year old companies there are three or four of them which are really really big and they are selling thousands of mattresses every month but none of them were focusing on the online space got it so we said okay at best we might be a small lifestyle business of a few crores 5 years from now uh, it's okay but at least it's our shop let's try once more my third startup ankit second startup let's just try it out that was the simple goal with which we started um, and the journey has taken us also by surprise so you you did not do all these focus groups extensive market research any of that you no. uh, had some knowledge about the the products presumably uh, and you understood about um kind of uh demand generation as you said and, and from there it was kind of gut instinct to just get started yes gut instinct and the lessons that we had subliminally learned subconsciously learned the one lesson was that <clears throat> we were not going to do any focus groups or interviews we were going to test out the products in the market directly mm-hmm. second insight was <clears throat> that was the time when everybody was saying that i want to be the uber of x i want to be asset light platform and here we were saying that no if we have to have control on the product innovation and cost we need to manufacture it so we went into manufacturing uh, the third lesson was i don't know if you remember jo 2015 16 was another boom cycle in startups yeah funding was crazy people were raising hundreds and hundreds of crores to just get to the next milestone and blow it up and just try and raise the next round yeah that had really scared us we said we are never going to be like this we are going to have the destiny of our company in our hands uh, so those so your things, idea at that stage was that you would fund the business from organic cash flows correct correct okay so for the first 6 to 9 months i didn't join the uh, company full time because we couldn't take two people's salary and ankit had just then married and he was full time so we said one pe- one person's salary and i will continue to work on the product customer experience and do it from outside about 6 to 9 months later we could take two people's salary that's when i quit my job and i joined full time uh so the idea was very simple keep funding the growth through internal accruals deliver a good product at a very affordable price point in a segment that people are not focusing on it's not yet highly competitive uh and in that space if you build your reputation soon enough people will trust you that was a simple enough theory so you were you were focused on the memory foam 
uh, uh, product, right? You're right. And de- delivering via e-commerce platform. Did you use existing e-commerce platforms or did you develop your own? We developed our own. Day one was all uh, sales on one of the existing e-commerce platforms. But within about six to nine months, we had moved about 60-70% of our sales to our own website. Okay. But even to this day, we have kept that intact where the focus is to build brand wake fit rather than depend on marketplaces. Yeah. So so that obviously built, you started to generate uh, volumes. And at, at what stage um, were you focusing on brand, um, brand wake fit? I think a lot of people mistake branding for advertising. Uh, I strongly believe that simple statement that I don't know who said it. They said that brand is what people talk about you when you're not in the room. And uh, for the first 18 months, we did not have any marketing budgets, neither performance marketing nor branding. And we literally focused only on great customer experience and word of mouth. So we started the company in early 2016. Uh, We incorporated it. And April or August, yeah, August uh, 2017 is when we started advertising for the first time in performance marketing. Uh, And then for the next two and a half years, we did only performance marketing, zero branding. So what I'm trying to tell here is that if the product is good, the post-sales engagement is very good, the brand takes care of itself. And we did something very unique. Uh, in, remember, this is 2015-16 when the trust in the e-commerce ecosystem was very low in India. Early adoption was happening at that time with Amazon, Flipkart, Jungli, and Mintra was happening. Uh, but the even with that trust slowly getting established, there was a healthy degree of skepticism on products bought online. So we created a process which said, after the product is delivered, we will call the customer and simply add value to their lives without trying to upsell or cross-sell anything. We would just call them and say that, hey, Joe, uh, we hope you received the product yesterday. Our system shows that. Uh, this, How did you like the product? How did you like the feedback? Second thing, uh, we know that your body is going to undergo some changes over the next 14 days because you're moving to a new sleeping surface. By the way, if you face any issues, we are here for you. You anyway have a trial period within which you can return the product. Lastly, this is how you take care of your product. Um, You uh, need to keep it like this. You need to avoid stains like this. If stains do happen, this is how you need to take care of it. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. You won't believe the kind of goodwill that generated. And they would just send us mails saying that, hey, I I got this call. I I kept waiting for the sales pitch. It never came. so that was a game changer where people started writing about reviews, uh, writing on Amazon, writing on Flipkart, saying that they're a trustworthy seller. The product is really good. My kid loves it. My arthritic uh, parent uh, love it, so on and so forth. And that generated a lot of uh, word of mouth. Because I think in a country like India, sometimes people might be a little reluctant to consider memory foam because it has this reputation of being uh, very sort of warm or hot. Um, was that was there any frictional elements around uh, getting people to accept that, or did the trial period solve a lot of that? The solution was twofold. One was content, and second was trial. 
the content clearly showed that the the statement that memory foam generates warmth is actually a myth because that used to happen in adulterated foam adulterated foams use fillers so these unbranded local guys who say we are doing foam or memory foam they use fillers in order to in order to cut corners and increase their margins when a when body heat reacts with that it generates even more heat but when you use a pure quality foam with zero adulterants like what a big company like ours would do uh, then nothing else, nothing happens and that's why our products are being used in rajasthan where it's 42 43 degrees celsius or a humid place like mumbai uh, so one that is the first part which is educating through content saying that hey don't worry that was a, that was in a very different context in this one we have taken care of that second step of the problem was the trial period and we were one of the pioneers to introduce that and let me tell you we were scared out of our minds because if the returns ended up being something similar to what is happening in apparel category we would really be well and truly screwed so we said uh, but we still have to push the envelope and try it out uh, in worst case we will turn back the policy that's how we thought but fortunately uh, our customers haven't taken advantage of that honestly mm. so the product uh, the, you were getting a lot of confidence from uh, uh, the feedback from from customers and um, obviously the volumes were were increasing um what was the stage at which you realized okay uh, let's let's start considering funding options to fuel the next uh stage of growth the first 18 months we didn't want to raise funding at all it was chugging along at a slow pace uh, steady growth margins were improving we were able to take two people's salary we said okay let's continue running it as it is uh, but then we realized that if you want to increase the product innovation uh, increase the yield of the production facilities then you need to set up much larger factories much more state of the art machinery that you get in europe uh, germany turkey are all really good foaming and mattress making machine uh, they they manufacture very good machines so if you have to do all of that it's not possible through internal accruals and just as a matter of interest on this point about the manufacturing at this stage we use in contract manufacturing or had you set up your own facilities we did not have contract manufacturing after the first 2 or 3 months it's from then on we have steadily moved into various stages of production first we got into assembly then we got into local batch foaming machines that are made in india very very inefficient then we moved into this german state of the art machine <clears throat> so it was a stage by stage evolution but we moved away from the contract manufacturer within the first 3 4 months yeah yeah very interesting so how did you actually prepare for those uh those next stages because okay i mean there are there are some people that will want to just pursue an organic path and fund everything organically but you mentioned that if you were to to get that latest state of the art machinery and advance things to the next level then it was going to require external funding um how do you prepare for for such um meetings uh joe for we tried for about 18 months before we could get our first series a round and it it took us 41 rejections and 42nd investor to say yes 
<laughs> so the main problem that everybody was facing was is this a big enough market online will this digitization process continue in india will people move for this category at least to buy online um, so that was a big question that investors couldn't get comfort on back then uh, and we would just go pre well prepared we would wonder about we would do a lot of research on market size consumer insights customer cohorts we would have done all of that uh, we would go into meetings and uh, uh, we would have very weird experiences um, one investor would ask everything other than our birth certificate uh, to go to that level of granularity and then disappear stop responding to our messages or emails uh, one investor would um, discuss everything for over six seven eight meetings and then say that hey, i'm not convinced about the market size uh, one investor would uh, say that i like you guys uh, but the market is not big enough um, I, another investor would say that <clears throat> it's very easy for an incumbent to just enter the online space and kill you overnight <clears throat> there's no defensibility so we would go all pumped up well prepared and then meeting after meeting it would be a no and then we would be really dejected uh, but then we would come back to office and feel that hey business is still there yeah uh, uh, our 20 to 30 member team member teams is, are still there uh, we are able to employ them okay tomorrow is another day we'll figure it out so this happened for 18 months and finally sequoia capital uh, took the bet on us and invested in our series a our 10 and million was, uh, did you you had uh contacts with sequoia from your previous role did that assist at all or no no, no. none of it yeah none of it uh sequoia the partners that finally invested in us had no clue uh about but they did do my reference check with my previous startup right. uh, <laughs> with the founder that i was working with there so that ended up being a happy coincidence uh <clears throat> but uh they took a bet after multiple rounds of interviews and data and said that our thesis is that we believe uh, digitization is going to continue. Our thesis is that having full stack uh, designed to manufacturing to installation, it should be owned by the same company to uh, derive efficiencies. So you both are doing that. So we will uh, invest in you. So it was a $10 million series A round that finally happened. <clears throat> Brilliant. And how, how, I mean, following the that injection of funds, did you have a clear plan about um how you're going to use that to advance matters um, no again we didn't have too much of a uh, in-depth plan we did have a broad usage of proceeds plan but the only thing that was clear was that we were setting up that german machine uh, and second thing that we were clear about is uh, that we were going to install a roll pack uh, mattress machine what i mean by that is you just roll and pack the mattress into a small cylindrical uh, shape so it's so easy to transport yes even a giant king size mattress of 10 inch thickness would go in a small cylinder which would make it very easy to transport reducing our logistics cost mm -hmm. and more importantly open up more pin codes for us to reach so even a Leh Ladakh or Jammu and Kashmir uh, very far-flung areas we are able to reach very comfortably because now the package size is small were you uh, supplying only domestically at that stage or had you considered export markets as well? Even to this day, we are only domestic. Okay. Uh, we we do plan export somewhere in the future, but currently the focus is to continue to grow uh, the domestic market. Yeah, got it. So 
you mentioned this rolling thing. Now, just from my own experience of having a mattress previously, um, there are, there were there was a memory foam layer, but I think there were other layers as well which were not particularly flexible. Is yours uh, completely uh, memory foam? Then? No, a complete memory foam may not suit the purpose uh, because it's it has a very specific purpose. It gives comfort by contouring your body and relieving the pressure areas. Yeah. So if you make the whole mattress in memory foam, you'll just sink in. So there's three layers, each with a very different purpose. And we have chosen the raw materials and engineered the product in such a way that the complete mattress can be roll packed. So it comes to you as a carpet, you open it up and within 10 minutes, it comes to its full shape of eight or 10 inches. So you just let it sit there and it will kind of come to yeah, shape. Just 10 minutes. Yeah. And is it heavy, like for one person to move? It's not so heavy. It's uh, one person can easily move it, especially because our bag comes with a handle. Mm. Uh, but uh, once you open it, uh, it becomes its full shape. It's very possible for one person to move it. Okay. Well, the the business is obviously growing and you've now got a, 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 an investor as well, a significant investor. Did they put some of their own people in as well? Did it, did the kind of DNA of the company change at all or anything? Was What were the changes following that investment? No, I think Sequoia's style is pretty much hands-off. <clears throat> they say that we need our monthly MIS reports, quarterly board meetings. But other than that, we trust you to run the business. Um, as long as it's ethical and as long as it's within the bounds of law, we'll we'll just be hands-off. We are a financial investor, not a strategic investor. Mm -hmm. That's the approach they always took. But two things that did help. Number one was uh, uh, credibility. Just because Sequoia invested after thorough due diligence, the media, uh, the industry, our vendors, pretty much everybody started taking us much more seriously. And even our talent attraction to hire people became easier. Because even with a very good top line, <clears throat> there was a healthy degree of skepticism because there are many companies in India in the unorganized market which have a very healthy top line. But a lot of it happens in cash, uh, which means it doesn't really show up as your accounts. Yeah. Uh, so when people saw that a, a great uh, multinational fund has invested in us, suddenly credibility went up and it made our life easier across multiple spheres. Second thing it did to us was bring a lot of structure to our finance and reporting. Just because we had an investor now, we ended up uh, implementing SAP as an ERP system, ended up uh, getting much more in-depth in our MIS and reporting, uh, looked at much more segment level profitability. So we became much more rigorous on things that we weren't focused on when we were running the company on Excel sheets. Uh, and the last thing that they helped us with was uh, hiring. Uh, they have a very solid uh, talent team, which helps us in uh, referring candidates who might fill CXO positions, who might uh, who might work with us as consultants in fixing a specific area. So they would keep connecting them. And it's our choice whether to work with them or not. But that again, because it came from Sequoia, we would trust that person more and engage deeply. So these three were uh, big things that they helped us with. So from a from a human capital perspective to uh, scale the company, where did you see were the main um, areas that you would need additional resource? 
very quickly we realized that uh, <clears throat> ankit and chaitanya are the two bottlenecks of the company so what worked to get us till there uh, was not going to get us to 1000 crores so that's when we first hired a cto a uh, chief technology officer to take over our complete tech stack and ensure that we are a truly tech enabled company where all the uh, all the data is flowing seamlessly we get a lot of transparent reports on the state of the business we do all of that through technology the second person we hired was a cfo we said if we need a business that is completely compliant and completely following accounting standards and have very tight controls to prevent leakages we need a very strong cfo so we did that and slowly we started adding data science product engineering design manufacturing all of those team members steadily today the leadership team is about 10 11 members strong and every fire is not my fire or ankit's fire anymore there are leaders who own those departments and that's the reason we have been able to scale if we both had been running the show i don't think we would have gotten anywhere Uh, so today th- that's been the philosophy hire the right people give them room to succeed and just give them the broad guard rails of absolute do not do or absolute do uh, for example one dna that you will see is that nobody likes to see a customer in pain uh, another thing they would not do is be disrespectful to colleagues so there's some broad things that remain very very deep everything else is fine uh so that is one thing that uh, we that that's the culture we have built over a period of time yeah uh, from from the various uh, content that i've seen it seems that you've built um a very strong culture within the organization i mean in terms of the size of the number of uh, headcount that you have now what is that approximately what 1600 people full time and about 1600 people uh, what located in one area or across the country located in about uh, 23 cities okay uh, plus there are another 1000 people on contract so those those um developing that culture where in an organization that has grown as quickly as yours has how do you go about doing that it's very very tough because that's one thing we worry is the 1601st employee that is joining is he or she as passionate about the problem as we were when we started the company if not we will be just another bureaucratic 9 to 5 company and i'm not referring to the number of hours as a as the number of hours of working i mean do we really own the problem do we really take products and uh, problems to closure do we really uh, step in and do what is needed irrespective of my role do we really live the values of wakefit those are things that we worry about but one thing we have realized as a simple way to continue to ensure that people know this is uh, simple rituals i'll tell you one example <clears throat> even to this day i am on the uh, wakefit escalation slack channel and whatsapp group so when somebody tags me or somebody tags the company and escalate something i make sure to put it out there chase it down to completion check the root cause and finally flag it as closed so with this simple action where i dedicate some of my day to that people even the freshest member in the team would know that this is something that everybody is looking at everybody is losing sleep on so my first thing when i wake up or the last thing before i sleep is exactly this so it's a ritual 
so rituals are the simplest way to explain to people uh, more than any training program can you you have developed a fantastic culture and you've developed a, a fantastic business it began with mattresses but it sounds like you um expanded into furniture as well yes as a as a kind of product line has uh how, how's that doing it's already we started that about two years ago joe <clears throat> uh, the furniture category is contributing to 22 23 percent of our monthly revenue already Fantastic. so we feel that over the next three years that furniture category given that the base is small will continue to grow at 80 to 100 percent year on year while mattress and sleep given that the base is very big will continue to grow at 40 to 50 percent year on year hmm. so that's the path going forward we have to just put our heads down and continue to execute so that's the uh the, the vision of the future then for for wakefit is to pursue the these two major uh lines in in the manner that you've just mentioned correct we look at wakefit as a sleep and home company so anything around sleep anything around home uh, is what we should end up having a full portfolio over the next few months <clears throat> brilliant well in just to kind of uh, finish off um your journey has obviously been pretty incredible and you've had some i wouldn't call them failures they say we win and we learn and you had some learnings with your previous um ventures what would you be your basic advice to people um considering entrepreneurship maybe those that were in that position um of they have a fairly high earning job with a well-known company there's a lot of social prestige attached to that but something doesn't quite feel right and maybe they want to consider doing something on themselves what would be your some of your thought points around that I think no amount of reading books or blogs or startup gurus is going to give you any insight that is going to help you run your startup every startup is different uh, because every startup has to discover its product market fit and you will know that only by starting it and if you think that is too much of a leap one simple way is to join a young startup or join uh, an early or a late stage startup also because that gives you a bird's eye view of how a small fun company functions and how an agile company discovers its product market fit. So if starting up on your own is too big of a leap, at least join a company in the space that you're interested in while you continue to think about your idea. That's point number one. Point number two is it's a fairly tough journey. So having a co-founder helps. Uh, there are many days where you don't want to wake up and come to work. There are days when you're super excited and as a startup founder, every emotion is supremely amplified. The positives are amplified crazily and the negatives are amplified crazily. So it, but when you zoom out and view with a perspective, you'll know that the positive was not such a big deal and the failure was not such a big deal. It was a small blip. You move on. But this for this perspective and a sounding board, having a partner helps. The third thing that I would recommend is please, please read uh, Lean Startup by Eric Ries and read uh, Paul Graham's early essays on how to discover product market fit without wasting financial and mental resources. The fourth thing I and the last thing that I want to tell is marketing does not require money. 
marketing requires brilliant ideas so we have been fortunate to have six or seven crazily viral campaigns which have racked up over 100 million views and believe me all of them have been done on a shoestring budget of a few few thousand pounds so uh, think about a content idea think about what works for your segment and focus on that capital should not be the constraint for brilliant marketing yeah that's uh that's amazing that you've you got that kind of traction with i mean so you didn't uh, end up going for the major major marketing companies uh, or or rather you've handled these things internally yes yes it's incredible chaitanya i think you've uh passed on a lot of knowledge and it's been uh, an incredible um journey for you uh, and an incredible story to hear so thank you thank you very much and best wishes to wakefoot thanks for having me joe all the best for the podcast i hope whoever has listened can take away a few things and avoid some of the mistakes that i have done and they gain from that all the best thanks very much mm-hmm.